tonight, I want to share with you a revelation that the Lord gave me of my family's most pressing need. My family's most pressing need. And I'm talking about my extended family. We have three daughters. We have eight grandchildren, two or three sons-in-law. Uh, and by the way, uh, my wife, Karen, was sorry that she couldn't be here tonight. Actually, I'm the bad grandpa tonight, uh, not at my grandson Max's birthday party. That's where, <laughs> that's where Grandma Karen is tonight. Okay, thanks. Thanks, Shane. Uh, yeah, so, uh, and then I'm thinking of cousins, uncles, aunts. Uh, I have an extensive family in Mexico as well ex as an extensive family in San Jose and Hollister, Central California. And a couple years ago, I realized as Karin and I pray every night for our family and for our nation and for all the, all the many concerns that the Lord is putting on each of our hearts these days, I realized a couple of years ago that in our extended family, every problem that our family is struggling with, and I'm talking about relational problems, bitternesses, conflicts, issues at work, job problems, all the, the gamut, um, Sometimes we start to feel like, man, we've got, a, we've got a troubled family. But then we talk to other people and find out everybody's got these issues going on. But I realized, I felt like it was a revelation from the Lord. I realized, oh my goodness, everything that we have been praying for, praying about, for our family day in and day out, week after week, for years, everything we've been praying about for the problems and issues in our family, every one of them would disappear if we all, each of us, starting with myself and Karin, if we all, each of us, had the fullness of the fruit of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Galatians 5, verses 22 and 23. Those nine uh, fruit of the Holy Spirit listed in those two verses, if everyone in my family had those in their fullness, we wouldn't have any family problems to pray about. <laughs> Every problem that we're praying about is addressed by one or more of the fruit of the Spirit. Isn't that interesting? So I covet your prayers for me, if the Lord puts me on your heart uh, during the week, say, you know, I wonder what I should be praying for the Graciano family. Please pray for us. Join us in praying for our family that the Lord will grow, grow. The Holy Spirit will grow the fruit of his spirit in our lives. We're going to be talking about the fruit of the Spirit for some weeks. And uh, I don't know if you realize that our pastor, Dan Donahue, launched into this study last week. And who remembers the fruit of the Spirit that Dan was talking about last week? Love. Agape. 
You've heard it pronounced agape, that's okay. Modern Greek would say agape. Dan was talking about it last week and, and did what we hope to do throughout this study, emphasize how the fruit of the Spirit is manifest and in fact illustrated and modeled for us in the life of Jesus. Now, I began by sharing with you that this is a, a deep need in my family, among my family members. And so you realize that I'm implying by that, that uh, this is a real practical study for us. This is something that's going to have a lot of application for our lives, okay? But it's hard for us to understand what these fruit are all about if we don't have the supreme model of the life of Christ. We need to see these things in Jesus to really understand what they are, what they're about. Now, it's important for us to notice that in this passage that we're basing the study upon, Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, that this list of nine fruit are called explicitly by Paul in this passage, fruit of the Spirit. And in this passage, he's contrasting the fruit of the Spirit with the works of the flesh. Remember what the Apostle Paul meant by works of the flesh. The flesh, uh, when Paul talks about it theologically, is not talking about our physical you know, skin and muscle, when he talks about the flesh, sarks in Greek, he's talking about the fleshly impulses, the impulses and out-of-balance drives and desires of the damaged human nature that we inherited from our father Adam. Okay, Paul lets us know in his epistles that we were all born in sin. And of course, King David understood that as well. It's always been true. Since Adam and Eve sinned, they lost the ability to have children who were inherently godly. Instead, we are born in a fallen race. We have this fallenness in our nature. Human nature is a good thing. God created it good. But since Adam and Eve sinned, our, our human nature that we are born with is damaged. It's in a damaged condition. It's out of balance. And so our tendencies are all selfish and self-serving. And so Paul reminds us that we need these fruit that come from someplace else other than from within our own damaged natures. And in fact, these fruit do come from the Holy Spirit and only from the Holy Spirit. Now, Dan talked about agape last week, love. This is uh, not just uh, this is certainly not fleshly love. It's a fruit of the Spirit. It's not lust. It's not uh, what the world, our surrounding culture, often calls love. 
It's not the kind of love that they talk about in my, on my oldie station and 60s rock and roll. It's a sacrificial love. It's a self-sacrificing love. In fact, we have the definition of agape in 1 John 3.16. You all know John 3.16, but 1 John 3.16 tells us, by this we know love, by this we know agape. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we also should lay down our lives for our brothers. You see, there's the definition. Jesus is the definition of this love, agape. Uh, he is agape incarnate, personified. And this agape, this love, only comes from the Spirit. And John makes this clear in the rest of his little epistle of 1 John. He makes it clear that we do not have this love naturally within ourselves. Now, you know some people who are not Christians, but they're loving, nice people, right? You know some loving, nice people that are not Christians, not followers of Jesus yet. And I'm not denying that, that there are non-Christians out there that are kind and loving. But this agape, this fruit of the Spirit, it's not a matter of, of saying, well, you know, Connor, he's, he's just loving by nature. He was born that way. He's a loving guy. And so now that he's come to know Jesus, God the Father is taking that love, that agape in, in Connor, and he's increasing it. He's making it grow. No. John makes it explicit this agape is from the Father. And the Father is perfecting not Connor's love in Connor, but the Father is perfecting His love in Connor. The Father is perfecting His love in us. Okay, and that's true for all the fruit of the Spirit. These things do not come to us naturally. They are a, a gift and a working of the Holy Spirit in us. If you know a person who doesn't know Jesus, but you look at their lives and say, well, they've got some, it seems to me that they have some peace, some joy, some love. That may be true. Because guess what? The Holy Spirit works in non-Christians too. If he didn't, very few of us, if any of us, would have ever been drawn to Christ. Wasn't he working in you before you came to Jesus, right? And, you know, um, Methodist theology, I'm not a Methodist, but uh, Methodist theology has a strong doctrine of what they call prevenient grace. And uh, other uh, traditions speak of it as common grace. The idea, for which we see evidence all the time, that in fact, God is extending his grace and giving some measure, if you will, of the fruit of the Spirit, even to unsaved society, just to keep our world from blowing up in chaos. <laughs> Amen. You see, one of the big problems we have in the United States of America, and I think in all of Western civilization today, is not understanding how damaged human nature really is. 
The book of Ecclesiastes tells us that apart from the working of God in a man's life, man is insane. And we don't have to look very far in history or in our present world to see that. And so uh, the fact that our culture hasn't descended into total chaos and rioting and pillaging and, and burning and destroying tells us that even among the non-Christian population, God is extending his grace and in some measure granting at least some form of the fruit of the Spirit in people's lives just so that we can continue to operate as a society. But for you and me, for us as Christians, you know, common grace, we're not going to be satisfied with that. We want the fullness of Christ in our lives. We want the fullness of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And we want the fullness of His fruit growing up in us and working through us. So this handout tonight, you see on one side of it, the fruit of the Spirit listed in Galatians. On the left-hand column, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. But then I want you to know that there are other lists of fruit of the Spirit, particularly in Paul's epistles, but also in 2 Peter. There are other lists where at least some of these same fruit of the Spirit are mentioned. And so a question arises, well, why... uh, why are, they, why are there multiple lists, and why are they different? Well, the list that we're spending time with in Galatians, as I've already said, it's the list of the fruit of the Spirit. This list is emphasizing these spiritual qualities as emerging from the Holy Spirit in our lives. The other lists have different emphases. For example, the short list in Romans 14, 17 emphasizes the character of the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. And Paul says the the kingdom of God isn't about eating and drinking. It's about righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So different lists, shorter, but the emphasis is This is what the kingdom of God looks like. If the kingdom of God was a kingdom that you could get in an airplane and fly to, when you got there, here's what it would look like. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Thankfully, you don't have to get in an airplane because the kingdom of God is here among us. Among us who have recognized God as our king in our Lord Jesus Christ. Different lists, different emphases. Uh, Many of the other lists are uh, lists of spiritual qualities that the apostles encouraged the followers of Jesus to pursue. Okay, now, I I want you to to hear me very carefully on this. These are spiritual qualities that the apostles call upon us to pursue intentionally. Paul, particularly, in urging his disciple Timothy, said, You, O man of God, pursue these things. But 
understand that that pursuit is a pressing in in our relationship to the Holy Spirit. In other words, it's much more than uh, a mental resolution. And this is why none of us who are going to be teaching on the fruit of the Spirit are going to get up here and say, okay, so now go home and love more. (laughs) Go home and be joyful. You, You see... There is a pursuit, there is uh, an engagement of the heart, the mind, and the will, but it's not a matter of willpower, and it's not a matter of uh, making a a personal resolution. Okay, I'm going to go home and I'm going to resolve to be more gentle. (laughs) No, that's, that's, that's acting as if it was a quality that we could generate within ourselves. These things are the fruit of the Holy Spirit. They come from the Holy Spirit nowhere else. If you want the fruit of the Spirit in your life like I do, then you have no choice but to plead with God and to plead with the Holy Spirit, grow these in my life. Grow these in my life. Now, now there's things that we can do to put ourselves in a position to cooperate with the Holy Spirit in that. But we must press in to our relationship with the Holy Spirit if we want to see the fruit of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Well, this evening, with the time that we've got left, I want to share with you specifically about the fruit of the Holy Spirit, joy. In Greek, kara. Isn't that interesting? (laughs) Hurrah! (laughs) Yeah. Greek for joy. Joy. And we will be sharing some working definitions with you. You may, uh, well, you've seen some, I think, up on the screen this evening. If someone's, Dan, can we get the, the, uh, you, you got it, Dan? Okay. Love. There's love. Working definition. Prioritizing the needs of others over my personal comfort, 1 John 3.16. These working definitions are not the dictionary definition. They are not the only definition. They are working definitions based on usage of the word in Scripture. Okay? In other words, the way this word is used in the Bible implies that Agape, love, is prioritizing the needs of others over my personal comfort. Let's look at the working definition for the next one, joy. Exhilaration in God's plan for us. An elation that neutralizes the enemy's attempts to discourage and intimidate us. Do we want that? (laughs) Yeah, we do. We want that. Yes. Exhilaration in God's plan for us. An elation that neutralizes the enemy's attempts to discourage and intimidate us. And if you have your Bibles with you, you want to open right now to a passage that Dan Donahue already referred to tonight. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2.
Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 say this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, <clears throat> and let us run with endurance the race, notice, that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy, there it is, hurrah, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. I want us to see tonight that joy is a present experience for the Christian believer. It is a present exhilaration, but it's a present exhilaration with a future reference point. It is a present experience with a future reference point. Why was it that Jesus was able, joyfully even, to endure the cross, the shame that he was subjected to by his enemies? Why was it for the joy that was set before him? In other words, he was so exhilarated by what would come as a result of his atoning sacrifice that he was able to go through that horrific experience. Notice that the joy was set before him in the same way that our race is set before us. Okay? So, uh, when, you're, when you've got a race set before you, you know, they just had the Boston Marathon, right? Uh, one of Karin's friends went and ran in that. Uh, you've got a race set before you? Well, you, there's a future reference point, right? What's the future reference point? Finish line. The finish line. Exactly. But at the same time, when you're at the starting line, you're, the race is right here. It's present yet future, right? It's a present reality with a future reference point, the finish line. And so here's what this means for us. And if you're taking notes at all tonight, there's four things that I want you to jot down about joy. In our lives, to experience the fullness of joy... I've already said, we have to press in to the Holy Spirit for this. We have to go after it in prayer. Holy Spirit, grow the fruit of the Spirit in us. But here are our four insights to help us. If we want the fullness of joy in our lives, it requires, number one, it requires having an eschatology. Now, all that means is that we have to have a sense of where God is taking us. We have to have a sense of where God is taking us. If someone just says to you, okay, I want you to go out and just start running down the street. <laughs> What's that about? <laughs> what for? Where do you want me to run to? That doesn't make any sense. I'm not going to get exhilarated about that. Okay? But on the other hand, if someone said to you, listen, I want you to run to the corner, and right there by the stop sign, 
uh, tacked to the stop sign before anybody else finds it. I, I have tacked an envelope with $1,000 in it. Now run down the street, will you? Okay, see? All right, there we go. You see? And number one, for the, to experience the fullness of joy, you have to have an eschatology, a sense of where God is taking us. And praise God, when we study the scriptures and read about our destiny in the coming age as the bride of Christ, wow, what an eschatology we have. This is a huge uh, thing that, uh, that gives us joy in the present as we look forward to this wonderful destiny. But number two, and it's so closely related, another fancy word, we, we need a teleology. And that simply means we need a sense of God's purposes in our lives. If I'm going to experience joy today, uh, the fullness of it, I need to have a sense of why God is doing what he's doing in my life here and now. If I'm a, a Christian person who just feels like, well, same old, same old, routine, routine, come to church Saturday night, Monday morning, go back to work, work hard, come home, pay bills, get up the next day, go to work. Uh, it's okay, it's a living, but, you know, I don't feel a lot of fulfillment in it. I don't know why God has me doing what I'm doing. That's not the full experience of joy. But as you press in, in your relationship with Christ and with the Holy Spirit, and discover more and more of His present purposes for you, why He is doing what He is doing in your life, what He is using you in now and preparing you for for later, this is a key to the full experience of the joy of the Holy Spirit. Number three, to experience the fullness of joy we need to really believe Romans 8.28. We need to really believe Romans 8.28, where Paul tells us, God is working all things, all things, all things, together for good for those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. Now, either you believe that by the grace of God or you don't. All things is all-inclusive. God is working all things together for good for those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. And the fourth thing required, and I've discovered this directly and very personally in my own life, and I'm going to share a story with you to, to help illustrate this, but the fourth thing that we need to experience the fullness of joy is a willingness to do an agenda exchange. An agenda exchange with our Lord Jesus. We all have our personal agendas. You, you're already aware of what you hope to do when you get home tonight. You've already got an agenda for tomorrow, what you're going to do on Sunday. You've got an agenda for Monday and what you're going to do when you get home from work on Monday. We all have our personal agendas. And guess what? They are constantly being thwarted and frustrated. 
Is that true, Connor? Yeah. Our agendas are constantly being thwarted and frustrated. There is only one person I know whose agenda is never thwarted and never frustrated. (laughs) And to experience the fullness of joy, we need to exchange our agenda for his. Lord Jesus, I had an agenda for today. (laughs) That's all shot to you know where. So I'm opening my heart, my arms, and receiving your agenda for me today. And I believe Romans 8.28. And so I believe that although I had a carefully planned agenda for this day, I believe your agenda is better than mine. So I give you my agenda right now, Lord, and I thankfully receive yours. So let me tell you this story. This happened a few years back, and it happened right over here on 112th and C Street. I was coming home from the county library going north on C Street, and I was sadly following a very irresponsible driver in front of me. And I'd actually seen the erratic driving of this individual in front of me, and so I'd, I'd slowed down to make some space between us. I was behind him. But then we both came to the stoplight right up here at 112th and C Street, block and a half away from where, we're, where, we're, where we are right now. And, and so when we stopped, both stopped at the light, then of course I was right behind him. And I, I was thinking about other things. Actually, I was thinking about my agenda, what I was going to do when I got home in five minutes. And so I, I stopped thinking about his horrible driving, and when the light turned green, he went, I went, and this was a few years back when it was two lanes there. So, so just as we crossed 112th Street going north, I got over in the right-hand lane, let him stay in the center, center lane. But he wasn't paying attention, and a lady stopped in front of him to turn left. He tried to swerve to miss her car, hit her car anyway, but swerved right into my car and totaled it up. Boom. What a mess. Okay. So, it was a summer day. There were people out. There were plenty of witnesses. And the police were called. The police arrived quickly. And no one was seriously hurt. The the bad driver himself was a little scratched up, but nothing serious. But... Uh, all three cars damaged, and, and mine, it was, it was an older car that we had at that time, and uh, the, the value was such that the damage totaled it, okay? So imagine the scene. Three wrecked cars, the, the tow trucks or trucks are arriving, the police are there, All the witnesses are standing around telling the police what they saw and talking among themselves. And the guy that caused the whole mess is getting ticketed. And the poor lady that had just innocently stopped in front of him to turn left, I mean, she was pretty upset. Everybody was just, there was a lot of, there was a lot of upset people milling around right out there on the side of the street. Okay. 
And I was standing there on the side of the street looking at this whole turmoil and feeling the turmoil among all the people. And the witness was saying, yeah, we saw it. You know, this man over here, he had nowhere to go. I mean, they just plowed right into him, blah, blah, blah. All this turmoil. I'm standing there thinking, well, it was not on my agenda today to walk home and then have to deal with insurance companies and all this stuff. And But... You know, either I believe Romans 8.28 or I don't. And I do. I do believe that God is working all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Now, this accident wasn't my fault at all. I wish I'd stayed back a little further, but, you know, I was in my own lane. It wasn't my fault. Um, so all things has to include even this accident and all this turmoil. So I'm standing there with all of these people in turmoil milling around and I'm feeling the joy of the Lord start to rise up in my belly. And I'm standing there and I'm looking at this situation and I'm thinking to myself, You know, I always hated that car. (laughs) And as a matter of fact, we have been praying. We just recently started praying for the Lord to provide us with a new car. (laughs) And so this is probably the Lord's first step in answering that prayer. And I'm standing there by the side of the road getting happier and happier. (laughs) I've got this joy welling up in me. I've got this big grin on my face. Everybody else is frowning and arguing and talking. And I'm I'm standing there looking like a silly fool. And and I look at all these other angry people and I think to myself, I've got a secret. (laughs) I've got a secret. And the secret is, I'm winning. I'm winning. Everybody else feels like they're losing, but I'm winning. This is God beginning to answer our prayer for a new car. And in fact, that's the way it worked out. That was just the first step in the Lord providing for us the best car we'd ever had up to that time. The Lord was working all things together for good. Wow. Joy. Joy, the exhilaration, the present exhilaration in God's plan for us. Not only His future plan for us, but His present plan for us. A present elation that neutralizes the enemy's attempt to discourage and intimidate us. Standing there on the side of the road, I had a choice. I can cling to the agenda that I had for myself this afternoon 
and become bitter and resentful about it and say, oh, God, why did you let this happen? I was going to get home in five minutes. I had this job I was going to do. I was going to get these things done. I was going to do this, that, and the other thing. And now I'm not going to be able to do that. I'm clinging to my agenda. I'm holding tight to it. And so I'm filled with disappointment and regret. Or I can say, Lord... (laughs) This is not my agenda right now, but this is your agenda for me? Okay, I give you my agenda, and I gratefully receive yours. And as I do that, the joy of the Lord wells up within me, and I realize I am winning. I am winning in the struggles of life because God is working all things together for good for those of us who love Him and are called according to His purpose. Hallelujah. Now, brothers and sisters, I just want to close by mentioning uh, to us that God deserves to see joy in us. Who eats this fruit anyway? First of all, the Lord himself should enjoy this fruit in us. The Lord deserves to see joy in us also because it's a great evangelism tool. How drawn are, are how, how strongly drawn are people to Jesus if they see us just miserable <laughs> and complaining and resentful and bitter? <laughs> On the other hand, if they see us just loving life because of what God is doing in and through us and because of what God has planned for us, people look at us and say, you know, how do I get in on that? God deserves to see joy in us. It's a great evangelism tool, but I want to assure us that this does not preclude mourning. Remember that the scriptures instruct us to mourn with those who mourn. And it is appropriate. The Apostle Paul understood this this two sides of life. He talked about how he and other apostles were, uh, you know, often grieved and in mourning, but at the same time always rejoicing. It doesn't mean that we don't mourn the sin in our lives. We don't mourn the the debauchery in our nation. It doesn't mean that we don't mourn when a loved one dies or when when a loved one falls into trouble. Yes, we mourn, but walking in the fullness of joy means getting over ourselves. And letting go of our personal agendas. It it means we stop uh, becoming bitter and resentful and angry over the little disappointments in life. Does that make sense to you? There is a time to mourn. But, and you know this as well as I do, there's nothing worse when you are mourning. You lost your job. You lost a loved one. Uh, your marriage is falling apart and someone comes up to you and says, oh, just praise the Lord, sister. The Lord's working all things together for good for those who love Him. That's not, that's not the way, right? That's not the way. No, we mourn with those who mourn. But we do that ex- agenda exchange with Jesus and we stop holding on to all the little disappointments in life. The fullness of joy. 
Makes me think of what Paul said to the Thessalonians. He said, you also became imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. The Thessalonians had so grabbed hold of the fullness of joy, this fruit of the Holy Spirit, that they became a testimony to an entire region. An entire region said, wow, uh, these people are, boy, they, they really make Jesus look attractive. The joy in their lives. Wow. And what's the alternative? A victim mentality. A victim mentality. And so you see, here's where we engage our wills. The fruit of the Spirit comes from the Holy Spirit and nowhere else. We have to press into the Holy Spirit and ask Him to grow the fruit of His fruit in us. But here's the act of the will. Am I going to continue living with a victim mentality? Or am I going to do that agenda exchange with Jesus and really believe Romans 8.28? Let's stand together. Gracious Holy Spirit, we do press in tonight. And we plead with you to grow your fruit in us. We need it. And all our spheres of influence need to see the fruit of the Holy Spirit in us. In fact, our entire nation needs the church at large to rise up in the fullness of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. So Lord, some of us are doing that act of the will right now and renouncing the victim mentality. In Jesus' name, we renounce that. We will no longer act the part of victims but we choose to really believe Romans 8.28 that you are working all things together for good for us who love you and are called according to your purpose. Forgive us, Lord. Forgive us, Lord, for playing the part of victims when in reality you have blessed us beyond our wildest imaginations. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. As an act of the will, we give that up to you now. As an act of the will, we give up to you our personal agendas and say, Lord, we really do believe that your agenda is better than ours at any given moment, any given hour, any given day. Your agenda is better than ours. So we're trading. We want, we want to live out that agenda that is never frustrated. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for inviting us into your agenda and welcoming us into it. We love you so much, Lord. We love you so much. Continue, please, to minister these things to us as we contemplate them during the week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.